Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the VRPC. We are going to be talking about the base. I'm the captain. I'm the Sharpie. Let's get into it. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's the VRPC. Sharpie, how are you? Not too bad at all, been on holiday, um, I'm a couple of wines deep and I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> feeling pretty good, you're telling me about a steak dinner you had? Yeah, it was our anniversary this week so we went out and had a lovely meal, mm -hmm. um, big steak dinner, a couple of great cocktails, some nice wine, yeah really good. Excellent, what kind of cocktails were you down in there? Um, an old fashioned. Old fashioned, now wait a minute, that is, is that, is that the whiskey with the orange? That's the one. Ah, yeah. yeah. It was pretty good, I have to say, I really enjoyed that. A few of those, eh? A few of those, eh? A couple of those, yeah, yeah a couple of those. Last time I had the steak dinner here in the UK, I went to, a, it was like a Brazilian place, and it was like, basically, um, you had like a kind of buffet for like a salad. But they just came around with the, these kind of like swords of meat and you just sort of say, yes, please. And oh. then they would just sort of take it out and they had like chicken hearts and livers and sort of stuff I like. And then various types of cuts of meat. And I remember coming out of there and I was like, I think it was my birthday. And I remember like, like fully indulged. Um, and of course there was like the, you know, the glass of wine was like, you know, 20 quid or whatever. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Came out and I said, I said to my wife, uh, can we actually walk a little bit? Because I need to walk this off, uh, and because I mean, we're just going to jump on the bus, and it, we actually had to walk about must have been about three miles before I got. I felt like because I'd just eaten so much. Things are pretty. Good. I mean, that's the sort of place I would probably disgrace myself with, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's on George Street here in Edinburgh. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some good, really good eateries around mm. about. You know, we're quite lucky actually, aren't we? There's a really good Argentinian steak place that. I would really like to check out, yep. and um, you'd been to an Italian recently. Huh? Indeed, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the BRPC. We're talking about music, but we like to we like to circle things around, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. So we're talking about food, but we will be talking about the bass, and you know, because the, the bass is deep in our souls. But you know, food is the thing that keeps your back up. You oh, know, belly keeps back. Food. But anyway, Lovely yeah, food. yeah. I went to an Italian restaurant um, just around the corner. I hadn't been to it, uh, before, and. Really, uh, really nice, like, local restaurant, you know, um, and, yeah, minestrone soup was absolutely delicious, and I'm, because uh, I'm, I like my deep flavours, and uh, my wife had, um, like, seafood, and she uh, really enjoyed it, and being Japanese, that's quite important for her, and, mm. yeah, uh, my dad and I had, uh, like, pasta dishes, and it was just a really... Nice, comfortable restaurant. Uh, very kind of it kind of had a slightly alpine feel because the yeah. interior is like stone and wood, and uh, yeah, just just a comfortable local eatery, which yeah. is not something that I'm accustomed to in this country. You tend to have to go into the town, into cities, uh, into the city center to go it's for a nice restaurant. Nice to find somewhere like yeah. that, though, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. That you want to return yeah. to as well, that you can rely yeah. on for kind yeah. of quality and things. Yeah. You know? So yeah. Just it was kind of reminds me. I went to see the comedian Tim Dillon a few bit a few weeks back, and he was uh, he was saying, uh, you know, you know, what do you guys, you know, he was talking about American food. He says, you know, well, we've got Pizza Hut. You know, what do you guys have? Do you, you guys have a Haggis Hut? And it was like, and there was, you know, but well, yeah. I says, you know, well, I'm going to try this Haggis stuff, but yeah, uh, you know, hey, listen, don't don't mock it. I'm I'm Irish Catholic. What do you expect? You know, you know, Irish food. You know, what what I mean, what is it? It's like stew. He said. 
said, but wait a minute, I thought that was English. So like the Irish have like no food culture. But anyway, you know, it's great. You know, in America, it doesn't matter. We've got uh, Italian food, We've all types of like food cultures, you know, Italian, Korean, Peruvian, Ethiopian. Now, wait a minute, what the fuck's going on? The Ethiopians have no food, but they still have a food culture. And I'm Irish and there's no food culture. Yeah, I think the Americans get a bit of a bad press with their food, really, don't they? But they do, they, they do certain things really, really well. Like they know how to cook like steak. Yeah, properly, and they know how to dress meat well, you know, with really flavoursome sauces and things, you know. Well, like I said, like, I mean, I haven't been to America for about 15 years, but uh, my family and I used to go there more or less every year, and we just loved it, you know, because mm. you'd have really great portions, really good food, uh, in a very comfortable family environment. Yeah. And, like here in the UK, particularly at that time, like going out to eat was like a there was an event, it was a birthday party, it was, you know, your granny's 60th or whatever, and, you know, it wasn't so comfortable, it wasn't so, like, I mean, relaxed. there's still some places now that don't have kids' men. Yeah, so. so, I, you know, I've got nothing but excellent things to say about, like, my experience of eating in the States. Um, the only thing I could say is probably, like, in general, the the food diet does have a lot, well, appears to have a lot of, like, you know, processed foods, but, I mean, here in the UK, we can't be far behind. No, now, we're so. not far behind now. But anyway, we are talking about food. We're still piling into the Paradise Lost wines. Yeah, yeah. We, we bought a batch of that, so it's just so tasty that we're going to continue really is. Yeah. ripping the backside out of that, really. So, yeah. yeah. But anyway, after that interlude of uh, the BBC Good Food Guide, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, we are, we're, it's VRC, we're back into the rock mode. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed last week's episode on um, the Groundhogs Blues, and their album baby. Splits, Blues. Um, and uh, this week we're going to be talking about uh, the rhythm section again. We're going to be talking about bass players, and this follows on from our discussion two or three weeks ago now. I can't yes, remember. Yes, about, about drummers. The drummers. Yeah. And um, do you, can you remember what your top three drummers were, Sharpie? Yeah, um, Keith Moon. Um, oh, God, I don't know. Well, I can remember mine. Yeah, mine was like Vinnie Paul, Mike and, Portnoy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Stuart Copeland so yeah um, this was just an idea that we had you know just to kind of like drum up some like conversation topics yeah just a different spin on the the music chat really isn't it yeah yeah so because obviously like the 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 general thing of our our podcast is to talk about albums uh, by particular artists uh, or albums by certain artists and uh, how we kind of dig with them and Mm. you know that sort of stuff but um, it's always good to uh, when you, when you can't talk about something for too long, it's always good to just uh, like go over it. Yeah. So anyway, um, ba- do you play bass, Sharpie? No, no, no. Um, I play guitar, but I remember my dad actually had um a, so gr- a Rickenbacker, a green Rickenbacker, and this will segue nicely, I think, into one of your choices. Yeah. Uh, he had a green Rickenbacker, and this thing was like a kind of howitzer gun. It was amazing. <laughs> You know the 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 um the the base case was like a coffin. When, it was you know it was huge. Huge. You know, and yeah, it was. Do you still a, have that? I don't think he does. No. I mean, like it was that, a beautiful instrument. Oh, amazing! Stuck, yeah. Because I had like a, almost like a maple neck, or so it was like a light neck, wasn't it? Oh, I just it was well. It was it had that kind of like uh, sort of like uh, oinks green sort of look about it. Yeah. And yeah, just um, so. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. like I remember him. Opening the case, there was just like that, like shaft of shaft of light, like the halo light, yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the angelic voices. Yeah. Oh, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. So my dad, he still like he still uh, twinkles around on bass, but um, yeah. So Sharpie, let's let, let's just um, well before we get into it, um, is, is there any music you've been checking out? We were talking last week about some artists. I have been off the back of the Groundhogs on a massive seventies um, or blues sixties seventies blues trip again, and mm-hmm. it's been fantastic. I've been getting right into 10 years after and um, we've been listening to like Eric Clapton, the Blues Breakers and things like that. So yeah, I've actually been kind of really going in hard on that again. Okay, actually. balls deep in blues battles. Eh? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah really. Yeah, yeah um, well, like I say, I like there's been a lot of cool stuff just out recently. Um, a, a, a Reckless Love, one of these kind of Finnish cock rock bands uh, I really like. Uh, they've released uh, a new album, uh, it was actually came out in February, I think, but right. uh, Turbo Rider. It's got that kind of synthwave vibe um, about it. Um, they do a cover of Bark at the Moon from Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> That's a great riff as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, so I'm really, really enjoying that. And in a similar theme, Villa Velo from him has released a new uh, track. And he's doing a tour next year. Um, and I'm a big him fan, so I really yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about... Um, our respective top three bass yeah. players. So there's going to be six bass players we're going to talk about. Um, so I found this quite difficult because mm-hmm. there's a lot of bassists out there that have massive amount of... Res- I could have came up with a top ten quite mm-hmm. easily, so trimming it down to three was yeah. actually really difficult. Yeah. So, um, Do you have guys that didn't quite make the your cut of, of top three? I have a big list, yeah. yeah I like, I, 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 again, I was like... I was kind of like, right, what, what what is it I look for in a bass player? And like, I remember like when I first got into guitar and bit, um, music, kind of in the early nineties, like at that time the sort of funk metal thing was was a big thing. And I was like, oh right, so you got Flea from Red yeah. Chili Peppers, and you know Faith No More, yeah. and uh, you know uh, Billy Gould from Faith No More, and mm-hmm. it was like obviously like um, Rage Against the Machine, Tim Crawford. And I sort of, and even like Rob Trujillo from, um, well, now Metallica, but I think he was in Suicidal Tendencies. Tendency really? And, you know, there was all that kind of rap hip hop thing that was that sort of crossover thing. Um, and he rocks with Suicidal Tendencies. Oh, yeah. I don't really know them so much, mm. uh, but I can tell that he's a, like a su- superb bass player. But so I And then I was also thinking about like the classics, you know, the John Paul Jones and the Geezer yes. Butlers. And, um, but. Um, I was nearly going to go in a, a different direction because um, I've always been a big fan of like kind of like funk and soul yeah. and um, like three artists I was, re- it was so close to adding was like Donny Benet who's this kind of like post disco. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just love his bass lines. He's got a very tongue in cheek uh, kind of Prince vibe about him. Um, but another band that I was, there was two bands that I was really into in the early 90s which were really bass heavy. Jamiroquai and the brand new heavies oh, and wow. the God, bass player Jesus. from uh, Jamiroquai, Paul Turner, brilliant, I really loved that and then I thought well wait a minute, where are the final revelations, we're a little bit more in the hard rock, we're a little bit more yeah. metal and then I started thinking about, well wait a minute, what about like Queens of the Stone Age and yeah. Nick Oliveri, that like when they came out in the mid, the early 2000s, I was like Jesus Christ, this is dirty raw bass, I yeah. really like yeah. that and uh, so I went through that and then some of the classic sort of like virtuoso bass players like Billy Sheenan mm-hmm. but uh, I think my selection is um, interesting uh, and reflective of kind of maybe not super modern but more more recent 
Yeah. So, um, do, will I kick it off, or do you want to kick it off, Sharpie? Well, I have to admit, I was a wee bit, probably a wee bit harsh mm. in the drummers' episodes mm. with my drummer jokes. Right. So, I kind of feel it's only fair that we dish the pain out to the other okay. band members. So I've I've got three basis jokes. Yeah. To, to share that particular... Okay. Well, hopefully it's going to be better than my uh, 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 rendition of that food joke earlier. Yeah. Alright, here we go, here we go. So, there's no point in trying to find a bass player in a farm, because they always hide behind the beats. <sighs> they get better from here. <laughs> what does a bass player in a lawsuit have in common? Uh, I don't know. Everyone's relieved when the case is closed. <laughs> <laughs> last one, last one. <laughs> this one did make me laugh. That's probably a reflective of my sixth sense of humour. What do you call 20 bass players at the bottom of the sea? Oh, Jesus. I don't know. A good start. <laughs> <laughs> Sharpie, you're a sick sad fuck. I know, I know. Let's, I let's start it's, it's this episode in top. Right, we're 12 minutes in. Let's get cracking with some <laughs> bass players. Right, Sharpie. Um, do you want to hit this one off? Uh, then? Yeah, yeah let, let, let's, let, go. let's go. So my, we're going to go three, two, one. So yeah. my number three is Jeff Ament. Oh, right. From Pearl Jam. Actually, you know what? I had, I actually thought, was thinking of Jeff Hanneman for some reason. And you're like, wait a minute, he, that he guy from Slayer? No, not not yeah. the Slayer. So Je- Jeff Ament, yeah, yeah, founding member of Pearl Jam. Um, also played in Temple of the Dog. Um, he is such an unusual bassist. Um, he is one of these fretless bass. He plays yeah. a lot of fretless. So yeah. a lot of the sounds that you hear in ten. Yep. And um, particularly the first two albums, actually, uh, verses as well. Mm. But, um, very prominent bass sounds, but very different bass sounds. So like you say, he like the. the um, plays really unusual instruments. He plays like 12-string bass, 8-string yeah, yeah. bass, predominantly fretless bass, mm-hmm. you know, so... Um, when you say a 12-string bass, is that like kind of like a 12-string guitar, like an octave strings? Is I, that how... I guess so. So yeah. that opening riff in Jeremy's played on that 12-string bass. Oh, yes, bass. yeah, it must be then, do, yes, do, an do, octave do, thing, do, yeah. Do, yeah. Do. And the harmonics yeah. as well. Yeah, so that, that's played on some really quite unusual instruments. He's also... A phenomenal double upright double bass player as well. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, so he he's a, just an extreme talent that I think makes Pearl Jam sta- really stand out as as a, as a band. Mm-hmm. He's just got such a unique, identifiable bass in the way he uses particularly that fretless bass yep. to slide over notes and things like that. Um. I think he's quite interesting is how he uses his he himself constructs his, his sound around the songs. Yeah. Um do do you have like a like a song or an album that you think particularly um I think 10 is I mean it's, it's such a cliche and a, but well, it's a sensational it, album. It's a sensational yeah. album. I'm not a power fan, no, but I love that album. I think the Particularly ten, his bass is quite prominent in, in yeah. ten. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you're the if bass you're, and uh, Eddie Vedder's voice. Yeah. 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 Um, but that's the interesting thing. So he, the, he works so well, and um, the interplay between yeah. the bass and Eddie Vedder's yeah. uh, vocal melodies yeah. is really, really unique. A very intelligent yeah, yeah. Uh, use of uh, uh, bass. Yeah. So, 
I would, if you were to hone in on the bass on, on 10 in particular and um, verses yeah. as well, you know, songs like um, Why Go, um, I mean, there's songs like Oceans, mm -hmm. you know, just really, really incredible. And of course, that everybody will probably know that opening riff to, to Jeremy as well yeah. on that kind of really unique um, 12 string bass. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my number three is Jeff Amint of Pearl Jam. Excellent choice, yes. So, um, yeah, like, again, a bit like the drummers thing, I had to sort of, like, create some sort of criteria for myself. Um, and I say, like, I was really big into the funk metal thing uh, in the 90s, but I, I felt like a lot of those bands didn't, didn't really carry through or push on to something else. Um, like, even, like, Flea with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, like, I don't really know what that band is now. You know, like, their uh, previous album, uh, they've just released a new one, had two amazing uh, songs which had like funk bass and I was like, oh yeah, but the rest of the album was this kind of like, I don't know, I don't, I don't like alternate, sorry, like, I can only say a little bit wishy-washy, not in the sense that it wasn't like good, but just, I'm not sure what it was. Um, so I was thinking to myself, right, like who is like got a, a really unique bass sound? Who is got a unique kind of style of playing? And who is kind of like immediately identifiable? And what my number three pick um, is the band Royal Blood and the bass player and singer Mike Kerr. Kerr. And um, I remember like sitting in my old flat in Edinburgh in about 2014 or 15, it must have been, something like that. Uh, Friday night, when you get to your mid 30s, Friday nights tend to be at home watching TV rather than out but um, recording podcasts yeah well something like that yeah but anyway um, there was uh, it was probably like Glastonbury or Reading or Leeds one of these summer festival things and I remember like flicking through the channels and then suddenly this band came on and I just thought I just saw these two guys a drummer and a bass and it was like holy shit this sounds like some sort of cross between like the White Stripes Rage Against the Machine and I was like yeah. Jesus Christ there's two people here, and this bass is sounding like he's sounding like a, a guitar. Sound, yeah. He's sounding like like a hit. And I was like kind of blown away. So like to me, Mike Kerr is like the Tom Morello of bass. Mm, he uses effects. He use the way he plays the bass is like a guitar. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and I say like so like they take the White Stripes. They've got the metal vibe thing, but at the same time, there's the blues roots, you know. And he's a great singer as well. And the two of them just like they get. They understand like rock in the sense that you know there's times where you like you bring it down you know and I'm sort of yeah. affecting a crouching position here and then there's times where you've got to, like kick in the, just kick it up and get faster and faster and the two really interact really great so obviously like their debut album from 2014 I think it was yeah. Um, which had all the classic singles, you know, uh, you know, Figure It Out and Little Monster and, you know, Out of the Dark. I mean, just this, this album, like, kind of, like, it kind of, like, really blew up, mm. you know, and I, I was like, this is, like, just just amazing. We're listening to it in the background. Um, I was playing it uh, for my dad the other week, and he was like, Jesus Christ, this is amazing. Like, yeah. he, he was thinking, like, they were using, like, all these kind of, like, weird sort of, like, I think he was talking about, like, 12-string basses and stuff. I said, yeah. So we... YouTube, no four string bass. Yeah, whatever those pedals It'll are. It'll be a small scale. It's it's like a small, yeah, small gauge kind of bass. Though is is it so that he can almost tune up? Yeah. Um. 
I don't know what the fuck he's doing, to be honest. He's mm. got so many like interesting effects, but as I say, like he plays the bass in um kind of guitar like manner. I think yeah, he was I mean, pick... solos like a guitar. Yeah, and like I just I, I, I was like totally stunned. I say, the best way I can describe it is like the Tom Morello of guitar, you know. Mm. Um so the yeah, first really album like that. Yeah, the first yeah. album Royal Blood like really blew up. Their second album, I think, uh, which was called How Do We Get So Dark. I must admit, I sort of tuned out a little bit to that, but their third album, which came out last year, Typhoons, back on track, definitely. Oh, really? Cool cool songs. They just released a track, uh, I think it's Honey honey Drain, Honey Brain or something like that. Just, I think this guy, these two, like... They're pretty innovative, aren't they? I think so. I mean, two guys from Brighton, they're just like, you know, it feels like a, a, like a rock rock band yeah. you know like a lot of like kind of British rock particularly is a bit sort of like uh, limp and sort of like floppy hair but these guys actually kind of feel like a rock band yeah. they play like a rock band and his bass playing is just like it's so like vast in scope the mm. sound like I say you got you got to understand it's just a bass guitar and drums yeah. but it sounds like a kind of four piece band yeah. you know it's clear I mean it's good musicianship but it's clever musicianship as well and the most important thing is it's the first time in a long time that I've heard a band really fucking kick in riffs. Yeah. Just identifiable riffs that everybody just wants to jump up and down to. Mm. So, yeah. um, it wasn't a choice that I expected to be making, but I think Mike Kirk from That's uh, an interesting one. Royal yeah, Blood. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's good to, to have somebody that's so contemporary as well. That's yeah. You know, kind of pushing an instrument like that forward as yeah. well. Yeah. I think if if you're not familiar with Royal Blood. I think most people, you know, certainly in our age group, but, mm. but if you're a little bit older, then check out their their debut album and ty- their most recent album, Typhoons. But the debut album is like, is just it, it to me as I say, it, it takes the bit of like the stone queens of the stone age, and the sort of rage against the machine and like all the kind of effects and just yeah, so yeah, I'm, no, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah, good choice, good yeah, choice, yeah. That. yeah, yeah, mm. unique choice actually. No, mm. I think maybe not everybody would have thought of. Of Royal Blood, but yeah, I think that's... I like to think out of the box, Sharpie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So my number two... Number two. ...is uh, uh, not contemporary in any way, shape or form. Uh, sticking with the classics? Sticking with the classics. Yep. and Like a fine wine? Like a fine wine. I guess completing that rhythm section of one of the biggest bands to ever have done yeah. it. And it's John Entwistle. Oh, right, okay. Of the Ooh. Okay. Of the Ooh. So... Known as a quiet man off stage, mm. but one of the loudest individuals mm. ever to do it. And yeah. I would probably include um, probably my number one choice with that for sheer bloody volume. Mm. Like, you know, I mean, th- this is a guy who essentially went deaf at the end of, yeah. of his, before he passed away, just with kind of sheer volume. And he would. He knew what he, what he was sounding like through the pressure of the yeah. sound from from his amplifiers. You got you know, yeah. um, And this is a guy who was around at the almost like the very beginning of rock bass. He made his own bass at home. Um, yeah. And he progressed the instrument of yeah. bass guitar forward, uh, yeah. hugely in his, in his lifetime. Um, and um, he was quite a 
quiet guy. Um, very quiet guy. He's yeah. kind of like an archetypal English sort of bass player. He like stood quite he stood, still. But what he played was absolutely incredible. And I actually had to revert to Pete Townsend speaking about John Entwistle and his impact on the Who's music. Mm. And basically what Pete Townsend was saying that for the Who to create that massive sound that they that Pete wanted the band to make that yeah. John Entwistle had to play at that volume. Yeah. And when John Entwistle played at that huge volumes, I was I was an effect that was clipped uh, in the studio. I'm gonna ask, have you seen The Who Live? Well this is what yeah. uh, this is the only one of my choices I have seen live. Oh right, okay yeah. And what Pete Townsend was saying that when John Entwistle played live at such extreme volumes that things start to happen with um, harmonics and things that yeah. um, basically, oh, okay. basically when he passed away and they continued touring that they had to add in synthesizer players and oh, right. brass instruments yeah. and things to fill in that that, that harmonic gap right, that okay. John Entwistle left. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he played at such extreme volumes, but what he, what he played was also really interesting. So mm-hmm. He played his basses really hard, and he he was almost like the Eddie Van Halen of the bass guitar, so there was a lot of hammer-on, pulls-off, tapping, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, really hard um, plucking and strings yep. to create really unusual harmonic effects. Yep. Um, that kind of built, you know, the massive, massive live Who sounds, um, and the, the influence of of the guy is absolutely yeah. massive. Yeah, you know, he's a true innovator of an instrument that, um, you know, there would like you, you've just spoken about Royal Blood, but you know, there would be no Royal Blood without the likes of John Entwistle. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and kind of how John Entwistle played his bass. So just, I'm kind of interested, like how you did, you picked him over. Well, I don't know what your other picks are, but like John Paul Jones or something like, or Geezer Butler, unless they are in your list. Pete Townsend put it pretty well that, like when you saw Jimi Hendrix play, yeah, that your eyes saw one thing, but your ears heard just this whole other world of what was being played. Yeah. So I saw The Who with John Entwistle a number of years ago and he had his solo section yeah. and it's not often in my life I've been kind of stood in a gig, kind of open-mouthed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was one time, yeah. like just the sheer dexterity and the ingenuity of what he was playing yeah and it was staggering yeah you know what he what he played was staggering but it wasn't always all just virtuoso you know over driven kind of noise mm. you know he could serve the song and yeah, if yeah. you listen to um tommy you know there's a lot of acoustics kind of guitar playing in tommy and there's a lot of straight just bass playing on, on Tommy. So he, he knew when to serve the song. Mm. But live, 
you know, his sound just exploded. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was one of the first to use Marshall stacks with the bass mm-hmm. and things like that yeah. to, you know, push amplification forward. Um, and he was always building on his amplification. He was always developing his amplification. At one point, I think in the 80s, his um, backline was known as Little Manhattan <laughs> with the, first of all, the sheer size of it, but with the amount of electric, you know, the, the lights, you know, the... Yeah, yeah. the, the the uh, power lights okay. you know, for, for all this yeah. uh, for all this equipment look like twinkling windows yeah. of, of the manhattan skyline so yeah john and whistle he was a extremely talented musician um and but he was also a an innovator a true innovator of of an instrument that you know created the the uh, foundation of what a lot of what we listen to now okay. you know mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, classic rock bass player, and um, must admit, like when anytime people mention his name, I always think of the the run in um, uh, people say don't know. Yeah, so yeah, I mean that was that was. I mean that was a a a gutsy thing to add in a bass solo to a a pop song. Pop song, you know. But if you there's there's interesting things kicking around on on YouTube about you know they isolate tracks from. Song, so if you listen to Won't Get Fooled Again, things like that, mm. and the isolated bass tracks, yeah, you'll be surprised as to what yeah, yeah. he's playing. Mm. You know, there's very, very yeah. complex bass runs, and cool, but he tied down he, he tied down the beat as well. Of while mm. Keith Moon was going apeshit, yeah, you know, and yeah. creating splashes and whatever, yeah. like it was John Inwistle that was tying down the beat and yeah, the rhythm yeah, of, yeah. Of, of the songs yeah. a lot of the time, cool. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really important thing. Like, uh, going into my selection, like, I think I've probably gone for something, uh, bass players that are more uh, upfront in the mix mm-hmm. in terms of their sound and in terms of their playing. Um, and I did think, like, the, the absolute, the key function of the bass, I mean, it, the entomology of the word is important. Bass, basement, foundation, the whole thing, that every, everything yep. everything rests on that. Yep, yep. Uh, and that's why somebody like, John Paul Jones, who just like like Entwistle, like stands on the side and just plods away and just makes sure that like when uh, when the kick drum is hitting the skin, his yeah he's there. Yeah, the note yeah. is absolutely on top. But as I say I've gone kind of more in a kind of uh, more kind of like flamboyant, flashy way, and uh, my second pick is uh, is Fieldy from Corn. Wow. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. I. Um, and the reason I picked Fieldy is, like I said, like when I first got into like the music in the early nineties, I was really into the sort of funk metal and the kind of the soul bass player type thing, Jamiroquai and blah 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 blah. Um, and to say like like Billy Gold and Flea, like Faith and More, those bands, they did like some great music, but um, it, it kind of like it doesn't seem right to say this, but they didn't sort of push on in my ears, but. Like Fieldy comes along and he kind of amalgamates and distills all of these kind of guys like mm. Rob Trujillo and the uh, Tim Crawford into this kind of funk metal bass with this really unique kind of slap sound. Like yeah, yeah. You were saying earlier, like when you think of like Fieldy's bass strings, they're that kind of like oh. wobbling all over the place. Yeah. It's such a cool clanky sort of slappy sound that. It was just so unique, and I think it's very important to add. Like, you know, corn started this kind of like, well, corn and 
like Sepultura, like we were talking about the other week, um, this kind of really like dry, hard snare sound they sort mm. of developed in tandem with Ross Robinson. Suddenly you had this kind of like rhythm section that was like, you know, the bass didn't sound like boom, it was like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the drums, instead of like, it was like, it was like, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, like Joey Dodson's snare sound, yeah. for example, yeah. you know, and I just felt like Fieldy, like really got that. And like, at the same time, Korn had like loads of like cool, really heavy riffs. It wasn't actually until the song Here to Stay, which you maybe can hear in the background, which is more a more of a standard sort of like rock sound, but just because they tuned down, I yeah. mean, the, he was playing a five string bass, tuned down a whole step to eight. Jesus. And when you heard that for the first time, like most people when you heard blind, you know, you had that kind of like dubstep intro. Mm. And then suddenly the... Yeah. You know, you were like, wow, this is amazing, you know? And the I think the thing with Korn, like, they kind of pushed on throughout. So like the first album... You know, blind and shoots and ladders, like great songs. You know, with this kind of like clanky sort of, you know, life of peachy. I didn't know so well, but like you know, tracks good god and Adidas. Like again, really cool like bass riffs. But I think it was like the third album, uh, Freak on the Leash, which uh, sorry, uh, Follow the Leader and the, the, the sort of lead single, Freak on the Leash. Like you just heard this like it was so heavy. I remember I was actually on a CD for the Guitar Magazine. And like I couldn't believe how heavy it was, mm. you know. Um, I mean, really, I couldn't believe it. And I just thought, wow, it's a unique. It is a unique sound, that yeah. isn't it? And I think also, like, unlike Antwistle and John Paul Jones, he's quite a like. He's more like Steve Harris. He's more upfront. You know, he's a unique looking guy. He plays the bass like a double bass. Yeah, you know, he's got. It's almost vertical, isn't it's it? Almost vertical. You yeah. know, he's got. You know, he's got his hands up here by his ear, but he's like pulling the strings like down past his balls you know yeah, yeah. you know and like his kind of look is interesting as well you know he's got the kind of basketball baseball style look with the dreads and stuff mm. you know it's a kind of unique thing i just think um yeah and it was like the album like freaking leech actually it was untouchables which is their fourth album that came out and i was like whoa this is really cool like they were really developing their sounds like getting away from the kind of like new metal thing yeah or more more specifically the kind of like very dark like issues type thing but yeah. the album issues uh, the fourth <laughs> album actually just sort of pushed it like make me bad was a great song i, mm. I just love that and then um untouchables which is the, the album came after i was like which has got here to stay and a few other like like mm. really great tracks and you know even after that I, I i dipped out of them but like in the sort of the the tweenies you know they came back with like uh, i think the path of totality and they were like adding like kind of edm sort of sounds with, yes. like skrillex and I just think they've like feel the that kind of, like that sound, the look, the style, the slapping, the heaviness is kind of puts the bass really in the front of that band, actually. Yeah. You know, and it, to me, as I say, it kind of distills a number of bass players who I really liked uh, into one thing, mm. uh, and that's kind of like why I never I, really thought about him in yeah. that way, but that's that that's very very true. Mm. Yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. I, and you know, I think uh, Corn have got like a really great discography, discography. You know, like when we used to go to the the palace or some, you know, when Got the Life or when her Corn track came on, Jesus freaking Christ, everybody freaking unleashed. Everybody like just went mad, and I remember it was like 
I think it wasn't that. Uh, God, what was the other nightclub we used to go to? Forget its name. But I remember like we we had just got in, and then suddenly like here to stay came on, and it was just like you know, there's such a heavy rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it you is. Know. Yeah, it's 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 crushingly like, heavy, isn't like, it? Like yeah. you really felt like the earth was moving. Yeah. You know, the, the the floors were like kind of sh- shaking. And do you like their latter releases, Corn? Well, I've got to admit. Um, I haven't really checked out their last uh, couple of albums, um, just because I'm in a slightly different place, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I think I probably will. Uh, I understand actually that Field is not touring with them just now because of like personal issues. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there's yeah. quite a bit of personal issues going on in the band. That band. So. Yeah, but um, yeah, just yeah. Yeah, big fan of of mm. of Fieldy and particularly like when the. Like freaking uh, follow leader issues, untouchable period. I was like, whoa, this mm. this band's doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess it takes an album or two, you know, to tighten a sound like that as well yeah. and really nail it down hard, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So my my number two is Fieldy, uh, the bass player from the band Corn. Yeah. yeah. Another good choice. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right. I guess <laughs> there's a certain inevitability to my. Oh right. Number okay. One. I'm gonna guess. I think I know. Go on then. Uh, is it? Does it begin with an S? No. Oh. S. Who would that be? I was gonna say Steve Harris. Oh well, oh. yeah. So that is what. Yeah, he would have been fairly high up there, and it was really difficult leaving Steve Harris out actually, because okay. um, I was actually listening to uh, Iron Man's debut album today, and even some of his. <laughs> oh, just <laughs> great album. What a great album. Yeah. Um, but he and he's been such a consistent, solid member of the band, isn't he? Yeah, Just really good. But no, my number one choice is Lemmy Kilmister. Ah, uh, of course, the icon, the icon, the man, the god, the man, the legend, Lemmy. And I think it's for a few reasons and the one reason in particular so there's quite a few documentaries on just now and i was actually watching henry rollins speak about okay. lemmy and henry rollins was speaking about a conversation he had with lemmy and lemmy said something which is kind of staggering right so lemmy said that he remembered a time before rock and roll yeah yeah mm, yeah now, that's like... An epoch. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, that's like saying, I remember a time before I could see or something. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. You know, it's such a profound thing to say. And the more you think about that, the more profound it is. So, yeah. like, rock and roll happened, you know, in the 50s, yeah. post-war 50s. And Lemmy was there through... The skiffle, the blues explosion. He saw the Beatles in the cavern. Um, he was there in the kind of post. Well, he was Jimi Hendrix. Site. Rodeo. He, he was. Yeah. Um, he was in Hawkwind. And he's the voice in when you hear Silver Machine. Yeah. Um, and then he was Motorhead created that link between. Punk and well, yeah, they fused all they fused everything. Yeah, that that, 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 yeah. that yeah. deep purple black Sabbath first wave of metal. Yeah, 
so that we then could have yeah. thrash yeah. and everything beyond that, you know. So if there was no Lemmy, there was there would be no Motorhead and there would yeah. be no Metallica yeah. or Celtic Frost yeah. or M- Mayhem or, yeah. you know, n- numerous multiples of bands yeah. that Motorhead's and Lemmy's influence in heavy music is absolutely massive. So being like kind of like pedantic to the like this question, your favourite bass player, yes. what is it specifically about his bass player rather than his kind of like aura and... Yes, yep. yeah, that's a good question. And there's a clip on, I think it's off of, it's a White Line Fever or something, and um, he says, and he's, he, it's in the sound check, and he's... Um, in front of his um, his stack, murder yeah. one. He says, let me explain about my bass sound. <laughs> Most basses sound like this. And he goes, dum da dum yeah. dum da dum oh, dum yeah. Whereas I, and he goes to his, his uh, amp head and he fiddles a little bit just for a second or two, sound like this. He goes, da ga da ga da ga da 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 And... <clears throat> I think yeah, he kind of played like power chords. He played yeah. power chords. Yeah. So, he, so he played. He was a guitarist originally um, in his first band, Rock and Vickers and things. So he filled in that gap of sonic sound between bass and rhythm guitar yeah. with an extremely heavy sound. Um, so he progressed rock music kind of beyond kind of where it was at, yeah. at, at that time um, and he did it uncompromisingly like he knew what Motorhead sounded like yeah. was, and he never cared you know he never ever cared and actually Motorhead's best work best albums were always when they were a three piece always because Lemmy were they ever not a three piece yeah there were there was there, 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 I think three albums when they were a four piece Mm-hmm. with two guitarists and Motorhead were always best when Lemmy didn't have to compete with a second yeah. guitarist a yeah. rhythm guitarist mm-hmm. I mean they had kind of often two right. rhythm lead guitarists but when they he didn't have to compete with that rhythm guitar sound yeah. and that and just they allowed Lemmy's bass to fill in yeah. that space Motorhead were always you know better and more dynamic that way, mm. um, but Morehead, you know, and Lemmy, he's hugely influential, massively influential, and um, just such an uncompromising sound. And um, I think I've said it before that you know they they, they had like Lemmy's, and and think you know the band members were are brutally honest about the right, you know, yeah. some albums are better than others, whatever. But actually, some of Morehead's best albums were. The latter albums mm. of their career, you know. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I must admit, like I, I, uh, there was a there was a period in the early. Two thousand tens where they were tooting quite a lot, and I always just kind of put it off. Yeah. Put it off. Yeah. Yeah. Bothered. Big mistake. And I'm, was, I'm yeah. annoyed with myself. Yeah. 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 So I never got a chance to see uh, Lemmy, but I think, it, for me, it was the 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 document. I think it's documentary movie Lemmy I mean mm. it's got everybody in it like you know like the guy from the Foo Fighters and you know like it's like he, it's kind of like 
crappy little apartment in Los Angeles and the yeah. sun comes. Very, very interesting, but very... Uh, I'd be interested to see what Lemmy would have to say about kind of the state of the world today. Like, all the woke nonsense. He would just, like, cut through that, like, like a hot knife through the oh, just Jesus. Yeah. And the world needs a character like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, cool guy, absolutely. You know, just an 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 original. Um, yeah. There's not. Well, there's not many people that are kind of one, you know, one name people. And you yeah, know, Leonardo, well, Da Vinci, I suppose. But you know, like you've got Nargal, you've slash got, slash. Yeah, I mean, other people you could sort of vaguely put into that, like you know, you could sort of say Hetfield, you know, yeah, or, maybe, yeah, you know, Satch or whatever. You know, um, the guy from uh, Venom, whose name I just forget. Uh, but you know, um, just a kind of like an icon, yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, he was just like, just an an, ori- an originator, and he was an original kind yeah. of thing. You know, there's not many people, even in the raw metal business, that are so uncompromising. Yeah, you know that um, you're either kind of for us yeah. or we don't care. You know and. From that movie, of course, like that unique kind of like fashion style he had of kind of like you know like cowboy boots and sort of like um, not Nazi but you know like kind of like German uh, you know field marshal style and, and the hat and the hat. You know, like, yeah. I mean, if you you could draw an outline like a yeah. silhouette of him yeah. and you know exactly yeah and the who it was. The, mu- the not the mustache the beard the kind of handlebar mustache yeah. and everything you know and of course like the copious amounts of Jack Daniels and Coke. You know, just I mean that that's kind of a fascinating part of him. Yeah. And but you know, his his drug and alcohol intakes one thing, but Lemmy, there's not one performance in his career where he could he was inebriated and couldn't play. Uh no. He was a consummate professional, you know, and um and I think that I mean, he, he partied. He obviously yeah. partied. He partied, I think, um, he partied really hard, but yeah. it never affected Motorhead's particularly live performance because yeah. they, I mean, they were completely road dogs, you know. They, totally, they yeah. absolutely lived for that live show. Yeah, I think, night. yeah, like, definitely, it's, it's true to say, like, his, like, um, like the boozing and all that stuff, it never affected him, but, like, his kind of, like, uh, the, the last sort of, year two years of his life he did sort of tail off quite quickly you yeah. know from being I mean, like, it's an aggressive form of cancer here yeah very aggressive because i think there was like one time where the, the motorhead played like glastonbury or something like that and like the band was playing ace of spades but he was singing like overkill or oh, something right, you right, know? Right, yeah. but it's true to, to say what you're saying like the actual like the booze and the and the pills that never affected yeah. it you yeah. know yeah. it was literally just a kind of you know well, but, you know, I, I just think he's 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 he, he is so important for the music that we listen to. He, but he was a he was an exceptionally good, good bassist yeah. as well. He was a very good yeah. bassist. He had his own unique sound. He carved out his own really unique sound. Yeah. Um, I think also like like um, without being like a like a standout bassist, but what the key thing is like he he drove the band. Yeah, like, sonically and like. But like uh, like spiritually, but you know, like the like the Motorhead sound is driven by that that kind of sortly distorted bass yes. in a kind of power chord sense, <clears throat> and you know, and you know, like a lot. I mean, most of the Motorhead songs are, you know, pretty simple. You know, they're not difficult to play, but like he just like you know, it's the way he plays it. You know, yeah, 
is yeah. that swagger. Yeah. Always injecting yeah. that yeah. swagger into it, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that's my my number one basis. I, mm. And I just think since he passed away, there's been a big hole left in like the rock and roll, yeah. heavy metal kind of kind of community. And yeah. yeah. So Lemmy Cominster is my my number one bassist. Your my number one yeah, bassist yours, again was was. This was not a choice I was expecting to make, but I was thinking, what is the most kind of like iconic bass riff I can think of? And um, I'm going to play this through YouTube, so this might sound terrible. I might get an advert. I think this guy's got such a, a great sound. Yeah. It's quite an aggressive sound as well, isn't it? Yeah, so we're talking about uh, Chris Wolf, uh, Wollstenholm, I think it is, Wollstenholm of the band Muse. And Muse are, were certainly in the mid, between sort of like late uh, noughties and mid-tweenies, I think were the biggest band in the world. They are huge. And his sound, um, I'll just keep playing that in the background. Um, his slightly distorted sound um with these iconic riffs that he would come up with. Clever riffs. Very driven. Um, I just think that uh, he really kind of like pulled bass in this certainly the 2000s all the way through. Like their first album, Origin of Symmetry, loads of great riffs. Mm. The guitar playing, everything about music. I mean, actually when we were doing our kind of like Christmas thing, I was, I said, I sort of set the question like, who is the new queen? And I couldn't think of anybody and I just put in a queen song. But the more I think about it, like Muse are the new queen. Yeah. They are like a yeah, progressive yeah. band. They got these kind of like crazy uh, concepts, the piano playing, the everything about it. But they're, they're essentially a three piece, aren't they? They're a three piece. Uh, they don't have the kind of like the tongue in cheek humor of Queen, but they have the grandiosity of Queen. Oh you know? God, yeah. You know? In spades. Yeah, I've seen. I don't know. I think if you watch their live performance, I think there is. Humor to... Oh yes, but I'm talking about in the actual material. You know, mm. you know, there's no kind of like uh, ride my bicycle type thing. No. But you know, no, 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 no. no, no. But um, no, they, they, it's like they avoid that slight kitsch edge. Yes, there, there's something dark about them. There's something, yeah. um, that, you know, they're obviously quite big into the conspiracy theories, and you know, I'm, I'm got, quite big into like that. They're like a, they're like a metal band, but not playing metal music yes. or something. So that's the thing. Yes. So like to me, like. Uh, Chris Wolfenstone kind of distills everything I've been talking about, like of being a, a, the, a the bass player that drives the band. He's got a unique sound, a unique style. You know, mm. like the riffs he comes up with are quite difficult. I mean, that the hysteria riff is, oh, is, is a tricky is a tricky riff to play. Um, and I um, and then they come up like in their next album, um, uh, Black Holes and uh, Revelations, Starlight, which yeah. Like their first single, uh, Starlight, is just a, a, a simple, like a pedal tone. Yeah. You know, ding, 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 ding. Oh, God, yeah. You know, and I've like, that for so long. you know, the, like, just so many, like, Muse just have so many, like, great songs. And, uh, you know, on the back of this episode, I've been listening to a lot of their albums over again. Mm. So, I mean, obviously, Origins of Symmetry, I mean, that's, that's coming out when we're like, you know, listening to new metal and yeah. blah blah blah. Yeah. Great songs. They passed me by a little bit at the time. Mm. I've gone back yeah. subsequently to Muse, and I really enjoy Muse yeah. now. You know. Um, and you know, um, that was actually their second album, not the first album. And then uh, Absolution came out, which has got history. Absolution, yeah, I think, was, was that their first album? Yeah, I think yeah. so. 
Um, Absolution um, is a little bit slightly, I think, they slightly got ahead of themselves in terms of as an album. It's quite a lot to digest, but you know, there's so many like great songs on it. Black Holes and Revelations is where like kind of really become the big band. You know, the Starlight. You know, mm -hmm. Map of the Problematic, which is an amazing song. Knights of Sidonia. Knights of Sidonia. It's, just, you know, it's like it's like super it, it back to that almost like deep purple kind of vibe of that just very riff oriented. Yeah. Simple yeah. Cons song construction, yeah. you know. And that's the thing; they they manage to merge like really simple kind of kind pop songs, and then go into some sort of like grandiose kind of like orchestral song with like yeah. amazing like kind of Rachmaninoff piano playing and stuff like that. <laughs> and I think that's where their uh, re the Resistance album, which has got the song Uprising, mm. which has got like a really cool octave bass riff, you know, you know, the the message of the song is great, you know, like, you know, we will not be controlled, blah, 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 you yeah. know, but like that album has got so much great, like, um, songs on it. And then like, there's just like these kind of like, like literally like orchestral pieces of music. Like, yeah. it, like uh, Matt Bellamy, the guitarist is some kind of like virtuoso piano player as well. I mean, he, he's, he's a musical genius. Yeah. He really is. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, I mean, he's an incredible guy. Like, yeah. So I, I'm just like, wow. You know, again, I had sort of like kind of a little bit dialed out, um, but I listened to the album uh, Drones, which is from 2015, and I was like, Jesus Christ, this, this is like really great stuff. Mm. I mean, interestingly, they've got an album coming out, I think, later this year, and um, I checked out some of the singles, and I was like, yeah, this is, you know. Kind of thought they'd lost the plot a wee bit for a, for a time, but I mean, certainly that first run of four albums. Yeah, I mean, the, the classic one brilliant. is like Origin of Symmetry, which is the second album, um, Absolution, which is, is great, um, uh, Black Holes and Revelations is probably peak. Uh, and the resist resistance, uh, I really, really, it's probably my favourite album right. actually with Uprising and it's got some amazing things. Probably my favourite new song is Map of the Problematic because okay. it's just so like, like it's got like driven bass da -da 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 -da, and it's got like, these kind of keys, the piano, a bit like kind of dark tranquility, kind of like very sharp bits and then mm. it kind of kicks in with the drums and then the kind of electric guitar and so I just think Chris Wolsenholm has this, has amalgamated all the things that I like in bass. Yeah. And the band itself. Um, and I just think he, uh, this was not something I expected to be saying to myself, but mm. he is my favourite bass player. Fair play. And that's yeah. a really unique choice, yeah. I have to say. And mm. I think when you break it down, break it down yeah. you know, as to what bass brings to a band, yeah. I think that's actually a very good shout, actually. Mm. Um, so yeah, well that's our top top three basis, and I guess you know we could have added more names into there. Yep. Um, some obvious, some maybe not so obvious. Tim Comerford, very good uh, shout there. Um, I did hum and haw about him because the reason I didn't go with him is because if you're being really pedantic about it, I think he spends a lot of time shadowing um, Tom Morello. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but one of the tightest rhythm sections yeah. ever created, you know, that and him and Brad Wilk, you know. Um, so I did think of John Paul Jones, but I just thought, I just he almost falls back in the shadows a little bit. Uh, bit yeah, yeah, Led Zeppelin, yeah, yeah. where you know, so I kind of discounted him. So yeah, I mean, we'd be interested to hear. What our audience was think what your thoughts are. I mean, you can 
contact us on uh, Twitter uh, with sort of Vinyl Revelation. I think two is the thing. Yes, or, uh, hashtag is, uh, VR, VRPC. Yes. Um, hashtag VRPC. Yeah, you'll yeah. find us there. And, yeah. uh, there's a Facebook uh, group. Um, if you just go to our Spotify page, you'll find uh, details to that. If you're... Um, I was going to say old-fashioned, but email. Um, you can check us out. You can send uh, email directly to us at vrpc at gmx.co.uk. Um, there is an Instagram thing, but I haven't really been good at keeping up on that. So um, uh, apologies to that. But uh, love to hear from you. Um, uh, and we have got any thoughts for what we're going to be doing next, Sharpie? Well, I guess we'd better continue our band theme. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, um, I mean, we'll go on to rhythm guitarists or something. Yeah. I think I do want to make a delineation between rhythm and, and lead guitarists. Yeah, that's so, important, yeah. Um, so let, let, we'll yeah. do rhythm guitarists, yeah. shall we? And we'll... Uh, I'd quite like to do uh, a hymn album, actually, because we're talking about... Outstanding. Yeah, so I think we should do one of I those. think we, should, well, we did something old school with yeah. uh, Groundhog, so yeah. let's do something a bit more contemporary. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's contemporary uh, for us and there's contemporary well, for our younger audience. Yes. It's, but, it, uh, yeah, it's all relative. It's, it's very much all yeah. relative, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, just check us out um, uh, on various platforms. We're on uh, Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Anchor. You'll yep. find us uh, whatever podcasts may be. Uh, Joe Rogan doesn't need any more audience, so listen to us instead. Well, yeah, it's just you know, it is what it is. That isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, thanks again for joining us, folks, and we will see you next time. Charles. <laughs>